for one, I, from a tax perspective, knew that the best tax advantages I could get was if I was an active in real estate investor. So if I'm a, if I can get that real estate professional status, then now I can offset all of my income, not just my passive income. So with that potential there, I didn't really want to just do it passively. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day I set out on a journey to find more. Now I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome in Contrarian Cashflow. Today I've got Dan Hanford with me. Dan, how are you doing? Doing great, John. Appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to sharing with the audience here. Awesome, man. Well, I'm super stoked to have you in here and looking forward to sharing this conversation with the audience. So for those of you that don't know, Dan is a master entrepreneur, real estate investor, podcast host, and a family of four loving fathers. So Dan, what are you working on right now? Well, I'm a family of six. We have four kids. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> four, four kids. <laughs> I want to take credit for those extra two bodies. <laughs> um, well, there's a lot of things that we're working on right now, but uh, the primary focus that I'm in right now is with our private equity real estate firm called PassiveInvesting.com. And we're primarily focused here in the Carolinas. We do also have some acquisitions inside of Texas and Tennessee, but over the last couple of years have been really heavily focused here in the Carolinas. I'm located in Columbia, South Carolina. And so we're acquiring assets that are close to us, but also have started recently branching out into the Atlanta, Georgia and Jacksonville, Florida markets as well. And you guys have been on a tear as of late. I mean, you've got two active deals going on right now. I know you've got two deals that, that you locked up here earlier in the year as well. So what's kind of get, got you going here as of late and, and getting some more traction when I know a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with our prior relationships with a lot of these different brokers and sellers. So we actually have three deals going on right now, two of which are off market. So they weren't fully marketed at all, still was through a broker, but they were people that actually have done business with us in the past. And so we were also one of the only groups up until recently that had actually closed a deal in the middle of COVID. So earlier this year, we had a large deal that we had raised some money for and closed it. It was, it was a kind of crazy deal where it was a $49.955 million deal. We raised 19.4 million of that particular, on that particular acquisition. And we got it under contract in the beginning of March of 2020. And of course, as we all know, towards the end of March or towards the middle of March, really, the bottom kind of fell out of the market because of COVID. And we saw a lot of unrest happening at that time. And so there were a lot of strategic things that we had to do to make sure we made sure our investors and ourselves felt comfortable moving forward with the project. And it was almost like it was a perfect fit for the current conditions that were happening. And we were able to close that deal on time. So we actually raised all the money on the 59th day and we closed it on the 60th day to be able to have an on-time closing in the middle of COVID. So when you do something like that, it also helps when you're trying to buy deals later on in a year like this, where you have the clout to be able to say, we closed a deal in the middle of COVID, not do we just want to close a deal? We actually did close a deal in the middle of COVID and we can perform and we can execute. And that's what a lot of these sellers want right now is they want that surety of close. And with our group, we can provide that because of the things that we have done this year. Yeah. Well, that's just an amazing accomplishment. You know, like you said, all things considered. And uh, I mean, the, the other assets you're looking at right now are just tremendous. So I definitely would recommend any of my audience going and checking out any of those deals on your guys' website, passiveinvesting.com. The big point of the show is kind of following the journey. And I feel like I know a lot and I've listened to a lot of different podcasts about you, your entrepreneurial journey, 
and your real estate journey, but I kind of want to go back to the beginning and that, that's an area that I'm not quite as familiar with. So uh, from one interview that I've heard you before, you talked about, you know, you, you were entrepreneurial from a young age with the lemonade stand, but then it kind of jumped into you owning five pain management clinics. So I'm assuming you learned a couple things and, and some struggles happened along the way, but what was this rise to entrepreneurship and, and how were you able to get to having multiple active businesses at the same time? Sure. Well, uh, it kind of all started, well, I won't say it all started, but the current businesses that I have started while I was going through college. So I had uh, been working for towards my chiropractic degree. I'm actually a licensed chiropractor even now. And I maintain that because you never know when I might use it. Plus, I still adjust some family and friends and want to be able, of course, maintain that, that, that licensure. But when I was going through chiropractic college, that's really when I started my very first truly successful business. I had I dabbled in multiple things over in, in high school and just out of, just out of high school and even into college and things like that. But really when I got into the doctoral program at the chiropractic uh, program down in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia at Life University is when I really started my very first successful business. And it's a business that I still have today. It's called, excuse me, it's called shopanatomical.com. And we sell all types of skeletal models and anatomy models. So skeletons, skulls, brains, hearts, ears, nose, throats, all plastic anatomy models for colleges, doctor's offices, universities, and colleges, I mean, in, in, in uh, pharmaceutical sales groups across the country. And it, 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 when I first started, I was sitting in my class in a classroom and we all at that time needed a spine model to be able to learn the anatomy of the human spine and so i went to the bookstore saw it was being sold for 179.95 and heard a bunch of the students actually complaining because it was so expensive and so i found out who the who the manufacturer was searched it online actually found a distributor of the manufacturer who actually fast forward today as our largest competitor but found them first and reached out to them and said, hey, if I can get an order of 20 spines together, what could I get them for? And they said, we can sell it to you for $65. And that included the shipping. Wow. So like 65 all in. And I was like, perfect. So I'll mark it up like $5. So being the marketer, I went $69.95, right? Then we'll do 70. So did $69.95. And I didn't, these were college students, right? So I didn't want to have a bunch of IOUs. So I set up like a PayPal link. They could pay with PayPal, a check. They could send me cash, however they wanted to do it. But money had to be up front before I was able to, to take the order from them. And I went through each one of the student bodies in the, in the school and sold 80 of them in the first week. Um, cash money up front in hand. And so I, I sat back. And I was like, I wonder what I could do uh, if I could cut out the middleman, right? And so I already knew who the manufacturer was. So I went to the manufacturer's website. They had a dealer application form. I filled out the dealer application form and they reached out to me. I won't forget her name. Her name's Marilyn. And uh, she was, she had got on the phone with me and she goes, well, how many times a year could you do this? And I said, well, at least three or four times a year I can do this because in chiropractic school, they do every, they have a new student body every three months. And so I knew at least three or four times a year I could do this. And so she said, well, I'll just set you up on our highest top tier discount as a master distributor. And I was like, awesome. And so I'll never forget it, but I got that spine for $42.48 
And I even negotiated for her to include the shipping in that too. So for $42.48 from $65, I went from just a few pennies, you know, through to, to several hundred dollars, being able to make a nice profit off of that. And then of course, two weeks later, sold another 40 and then took my own background in web design, web hosting, networking, built out the website for it. First started selling them on eBay back then was pretty popular and started to build it out on eBay, then built our own website out, started selling 20, 30, 40,000 a month and product off their catalogs. I had a catalog of over like 4,000 products. And so I took my background in database engineering and put it back in, we created the database to be able to put it inside the website. And literally I would go to school in the morning really early to avoid traffic in Atlanta and have first in the morning classes, sit in the cafeteria, you know, doing my database work. And then I would park really close to the classrooms outside so that in between classes or during the breaks, there were usually two or three hour classes. I would go in there and park next to them. So then my 10 or 15 minute break, like in between, I would go out to my car and I had had an SUV at the time and I had a laptop stand in it. And I put the laptop stand in there with my laptop on it and I would return customer phone calls and process tracking information and, you know, all kinds of different customer support stuff. And then of course I'd go back into the class, finish up what the class was and stuff. But uh, that was the really kind of first, you know, you know creation of, a, of the successful business that I have. And I still have it today, actually, oddly enough. So it's now in its uh, 13th, 14th year and a team that runs it and we still do seven figures a year of revenue in that business consistently since then. And it's been, uh, it's been a kind of my, original kind of brainchild and first business. So it's not one of those types of businesses that has a really good exit potential for it, but it's a kind of a good kind of cash flowing business. But uh, that's probably why I haven't gotten rid of it yet. Cause I kind of, you know, still, still, you know, have an attachment to it, if you will. But then I also, when I first got out of, of chiropractic school, I started my own practices. My only, my first practice actually uh, debt-free. And even today, all, all the clinics that I have now are debt-free. My wife and I own them hundred percent and they cash flow nicely. But in, when I first started into chiropractic, I realized early on that I could only see so many patients an hour. And so I was capping my income. And in order for me to be able to increase my income, I had to hire some other people that could actually other chiropractors to do what I'm doing because I'd go on vacation as a solo practitioner and still had to pay my staff, still had to pay all the overhead, but had no income coming in because I couldn't see the patients while I was out of town. And so I was paying for the vacation with my business and then having to pay for the vacation to actually go on vacation. And so it was a, it was, it was very hard, right? And so started to hire on other chiropractors to work for me. And then about three or four years into it, decided that I wanted to start to integrate the clinic with medicine. And so I started to hire on a medical doctor, some nurse practitioners, and then we decided to expand from one clinic to the four clinics that we have now. We can dive into the fifth one if you want. It's actually, I I shut it down. We can talk about it if you want. Um, But the four clinics that we have now, and it has... um, we actually completely cut out the chiropractic so that we could actually expand and the services that we're doing from the medical side. And from the medical component, we do a lot of non-surgical orthopedics and sports medicine. So we do a lot of prolotherapy, PRP, and then stem cell treatments for orthopedic conditions for our community. And the reason why we cut out the chiropractic is because I still like chiropractic. I still practice it on family and friends now, but we actually now with our referral networks that we've built out with other chiropractors, those chiropractors now refer to us and also PT groups and uh, other types of alternative medicine groups. And now we also refer back out to them as well. And so we actually reach more people with chiropractic than we did before because we've been able to expand as well as we have. We've now 
uh, have really good, well-trained nurse practitioners and medical doctors that refer out for chiropractic because they actually believe in it, you know? And, uh, and so th- with the clinics, once they got them all built out, the problem was, is I was making a lot of money, you know? And I say it was a problem because when you make money, as you know, you pay more in taxes. And so my wife was the one at the time that was, even now she, she manages our personal finances and she'd come to me every quarter and she'd be like, we're having to pay more money in taxes this quarter. And I'm like, it's okay. It's a good thing, right? Because the more money you make, the more money, I mean, the more, more money you pay in taxes, it means that you're making more money. And, uh, but it gets to a point where when you're starting to write six figure checks multiple times throughout the year, that it gets a little bit uh, frustrating when you work so hard all year long and then you don't get to keep that. And so try to do some research on alternative ways to reduce my taxable liability. And obviously real estate is a great avenue and a great way to do that. And so that's really how I got to the point of being able to start PassiveInvesting.com was through the necessity of trying to reduce my own taxable liability. And so I actually stepped out of the day-to-day operations of the clinics, promoted my COO at the time to the CEO, and he's been running it ever since. We have a group of about 50 employees that he manages and, uh, you know, nurse practitioners, medical doctors, medical assistants, front desk, man, you know, office managers. And uh, of, course, a whole, of course, we have a whole billing team and back office administration and things like that. Um, but then that's kind of how we got to the point now where we are, where we're acquiring multifamily. Man, <laughs> that was an awesome story. I mean, you just got, I mean, uh, there's just so many things from there. So I just, I love the fact that you were looking at, a, I mean, all these are stemmed from solving problems, right? I mean, so you just look at a, a problem that you, you and your, your fellow cohort students have, and you were able to scale that into uh, the business that you were able to exit debt-free and then have those clinics debt-free. So I just, I didn't know a lot of those stories before. So that that's, that's really cool. So one thing is, where'd you learn all those programming skills? I mean, you kind of just glossed over that, but is that, you know, how did, how did you learn all those database and programming skills? I mean, that stuff's pretty technical. Sure. Well, I'm the type of person that if I want to learn something, I'll learn it. So, you know, going in and kind of getting my feet wet, getting, getting actually, you know, into the, into the trenches, if you will, and learning something is how I usually learn. And so usually if there's a new software that we're going to be implementing or things like that or anything like that, I'm usually when we're on a phone call with the trainer from that company, I'm showing them things, right? That's kind of how my mind works when it comes to software and programming. And, uh, and so even, even right now, actually, I bought an airplane, a single engine kind of Cirrus SR22 about two months ago and, and there was my instructor kind of showing me a few things I'm, I'm showing him different like shortcuts and different things in the on the avionics package on the on the because it's a full you know glass cockpit and everything so it's all of this avia, all, all just computers and I'm showing him things on there and stuff like that but um, that's just kind of how my mind works I go in there and I learn things play around and, uh, and that's that's pretty much how I learn is just going there and doing it and teaching myself I mean, and just learning new skills is just such a, I mean, from an entrepreneur, right? I mean, so that, that obviously has led to why you've been able to be so successful is you just dive in head first and then you learn it, understand it, and then, you know, kind of figure out how to, how to move on from there and, and move forward. So, um, so one thing that you touched upon a little bit was your wife. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you're doing all these entrepreneurial things, but at the same time, obviously you've got a family and trying to scale that and grow that with your four children. So, so what was, what were the conversations like and, and what was the communication like between you and your wife when you're, when you're doing all these different activities? Well, she's been, always been very supportive of everything that I've done. And it's, uh, it's one of those things where I want her to be involved with a lot of the decision-making process. And so one of the things that we do as a, as a, as a couple is usually about 
three or four times a week, we'll get, to, we'll, we'll have coffee in the morning together where we'll get up before the kids get up. We'll go outside in the back porch and you know, it's kind of sounds kind of funny, but we have rocking, rocking chairs in the back porch that overlooks the pool and stuff like that. So we're back there on our rocking, rocking chairs, you know, drinking our cup of coffee, but we're just, we're just talking about the day before and the day ahead and kind of what the plans are. And then any type of decision-making process or different decision-making things that need to need to be happening at that time, we talk about them and have that dialogue. And so she's always been an integral part of the business and she's always been a part of the decision-making process. Now, has, does she always agree with all the decisions that I make? I mean, no, I mean, we're not perfect, right? Um, there's decisions that I make that, you know, she would never have made those decisions. Actually, probably most of the decisions that I make, she would not have leaned that way because it, she's not a very big risk taker. And I'm on the other side of that where I'm a big risk taker. So we kind of balance each other out when it comes to that. And I think it's really kind of served us well. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm so fortunate with too, is my wife is, I think, even though maybe they're not as, you know, they're not as comfortable with a level of risk, they're, they're willing to take the, the risk with us, right? You know, and the fact that, I mean, so maybe she's not personally as risk tolerant, but she obviously is allowing, you know, trusting within your judgment of what risks are ample and, and which ones are, are to be meant to be taken. And I think that's just something that's so important is to find somebody and a spouse and somebody that you can connect with to the point where you can have those open conversations. And it's not, it's not adversarial when there is a disagreement. It's just like, Hey, let me try this. Oh, I stubbed my toe. Okay. Well, I'm not going to take that path again. I'm going to move on to something else. So, and then well, I will uh, say this too, that you have to prove yourself, right? Cause in the very beginning, it was a lot harder because I hadn't proved myself yet. Right. But after I make a few decisions that might seem a little bit contrarian, if you will, being able to make those decisions and then see them come to fruition and actually make them, make them more, make them productive is really, really what's impactful for my spouse to be able to really kind of believe me as we move forward and say, hey, I know you wouldn't go this direction, but I really feel like we should go this direction. Now, if she has a strong intuition, like, no, it's a completely bad thing, we don't do it, right? I myself have that same thing where I've been burned before where I kind of had this little voice in my head telling me it's probably not the best thing to do, but I just pushed through and did it anyway and come to find out it really wasn't the best decision to be that we should have made. But that's the biggest thing with a, with a, with a, with a spousal relationship is that um, you have to make sure that you prove yourself to them. And the more and more you are proving, you have proved yourself to them, the more comfortable they're going to be with you when you're making decisions. Because you know, right now, we're obviously in a different position than we were when we first got married. When we first got married, we didn't have a lot of money. We were, I, was, I was still in school. I had student loan debt. She had student loan debt. So it was, a, it was one of those things where, well, excuse me, she didn't have student loan debt. It was just me. So I was the only one that came to the marriage with student loan debt. She actually paid it all off before we got into, uh, into, into, Mary, we got into marriage. So um, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> if she listened to this podcast, she heard, <laughs> I worked my rear end off to pay it off before we got married. But, but being able to, you know, prove yourself in the very beginning with them as uh, with your spouse is, is really, I think, crucial. Because I, I have people that will reach out to me like, how do I get my spouse on board? And the really the best thing to do it is to prove yourself, right? Don't try to drag them into anything. Don't try to pull them into anything. But you got to prove yourself. And once you prove yourself, then they're going to feel they're going to be more apt to be able to allow you to be able to do certain things that will be normally outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, well, I, I think that advice is is tremendous, and probably is a, a lot of the reason why you've been able to have these businesses successfully and, and delegate some of these responsibilities, right? So obviously, we're talking about a spousal relationship, but also, you know, being a leader of an organization, you know, a lot of times people aren't going to just follow the path that you give them because you say so, right? But you've had that track record of success, and hey, guys, come on, trust me. I know this is out of the out of the norm, but this is the path that we need to take. So, so okay, so you've talked about having this tax burden, and obviously, that's a, a huge issue. Is why you've looked to get into the real estate. 
but you've got this successful, multiple successful businesses. Why not just kick your feet up and say, hey, I'm good. I'm just going to be Mr. CEO and you know, I'll just invest in these deals passively and, and take advantage of, of the tax benefits that way. Sure. Well, Couple, couple things there, a lot of moving parts, but I'll kind of break it down into two different areas. So for one, I, uh, from a tax perspective, knew that the best tax advantages I could get was if I was an active real estate investor. So if, I'm a, if, I can, if I can get that real estate professional status, then now I can offset all of my income, not just my passive income. So uh, with that potential there, I didn't really want to just do it passively. Now I still do invest passively myself. So right now my wife and I are in about 30, 31 different passive investments with about nine or 10 different operators. So we're still actively investing passively as well as doing our own active projects. But I didn't want to just do it, do it passively because of the tax benefits were, were so much better being able to do it actively. And the other side of the coin would be, so the word retire does not show up anywhere in the Bible, right? So I don't believe that I should just like stop what I'm doing and just go play golf all the rest of my life where I feel like the Lord put me on this earth for a specific purpose and a specific reason, and I'm not done yet, right? And until he tells me I'm done, I'm going to continue to pursue what he has in front of me and what he puts before me. So I, I just didn't feel like I was done yet. And so I wanted to continue to pursue the next thing that the Lord had for me. And that, that this is what it is. And it's, it's one of those things where he might change things, right? He might change things and put it in me in a different direction. But right now, this is what he has me, me doing and what he has me focusing on. And uh, that's, that's what I have doing, what I'm doing. And then some people would say, well, how much money is enough, right? And to me, it's, it's never been about the money. I mean, the money is nice, right? It's great to be able to you know, have that, 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 the extra you know, cash to be able to do a lot of the things that, I've been, that I, that I want to do. But that's not why I do what I do. You know, I do what I do what I do because I enjoy the process. I enjoy the process of building a business, scaling it, getting it to the, to the kind of a point where it is right now, and then continuing to find ways to expand and grow and change and, and really try to, try to make a larger impact in the world, right? Instead of just trying to think of it on a small level where I just grew this business, made a little bit of money, or maybe you made a lot of money, whatever, and then just stopped and kicked my feet up and you know, played golf. And I literally had that conversation, John, uh, with my wife. I was like, I've researched so many different things before I did this passiveinvesting.com thing. I'm like, I could just go play golf every single week and, and do nothing else. I could, you know, go, you know, get a hobby like boating or tennis or, you know, uh, hunting or fishing or, you know, whatever, you know, there's lots of different sports that you could do or different things to keep your time, keep, keep yourself busy. But I didn't feel like that's what I wanted to do is just be busy, right? I wanted to still you know, have an impact because again, I feel like I'm on, I'm, I've been put on this earth for a purpose and I have not completely fulfilled that entire purpose yet. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I just think that that's such an important point that I think so many people struggle with is if you're doing it for the money, you probably can find money. You know, more, more than likely the people out there are competent enough to go out there and find you know, something they're successful enough at that they'll find money. But I think it's really important when you can delineate what, uh, or diverge, you know, success and, and the money part, right? This is something you just love, right? You can hear that your passion coming through the conversation. Just, you know, you just, you want to be successful in businesses and you want to learn something new and you want to scale it and you want to, you know, you're obviously extremely competitive and you want to be, you know, the one of the best in the area. And I think that's just such an important point that people need to understand is if you're strictly doing it for the money and not doing it for a reason that's a higher purpose or a higher value to you and your family, Ultimately, I think there's going to be challenges there because you're going to get that money, but at what, at what cost? 
right? At what cost are you sacrificing other things in your life that are, are likely more important to you? So just when you're looking at these things, just really make sure that you're defining what is truly important to you and what you're willing to sacrifice to get there. Because so kind of within that, you stepped away as the CEO, but um, one of the things you've mentioned recently is that you actually have more time. You know, you're around more often, you're able to be around your family more. So, so how is the transition from the, the CEO of the medical clinics and now into the real estate, how has that impacted your personal life as well? Well, it's actually been quite great because when I was in the clinics every day, obviously I was going in there, putting out fires, and I never really got to the point of thinking about a way of pulling myself out. And when I finally made that decision to be able to pull myself out and I could actually put my COO who had been with me for three or four years at that point and put him into the CEO position, I mean, he was pretty much already doing everything as it is, but now he's able to just finish up the rest of the stuff that I was having to do and going in for. And I wasn't taking up a lot of my time doing that. And now with the multifamily business that I have, I primarily have a scheduled day of phone calls on days like today, right? On Tuesdays are usually my days where I do my podcast interviews. I do my webinars. I do my, um, uh, I have a, a group coaching call that I do once a week. And then I also do all of my investor calls once a week. And usually it's from like eight to six. So it's only like my craziest day. They're like back to back. I even had an investor like yesterday say, can I move up from four to three 30? I'm like, no, I'm completely <laughs> full. I don't have any other spots. It's usually like that. It's usually booked out. And I, I do that on purpose because I want to have that flexibility throughout the rest of the week to be able to spend more time with my family, be able to go and do and the reason why I do it on Tuesdays is because sometimes I'll go on vacation, not on vacation, but I'll go on a trip or conference over the weekend. I might not get back. And then Monday's usually a catch-up day. And if I'm trying to schedule it on the, and most of those events usually are on the weekend. So I don't want to do those like a Thursday or Friday because you never know when those events go and when you have to travel. So Tuesday is kind of that perfect day. And, uh, and it has allowed me to be able to have more flexibility. And it also has allowed me to be able to get a little bit more fit too, because I have now been able to hire a personal trainer. I'm able to go out with them three days, go to their to the gym three days a week, to be able to get them to be able to help me from a physical fitness standpoint. Because before I never really focused on that because I was so busy with the business, I never focused on myself. And then uh, now being able to have the flexibility to go, you know, pick up the kids from school early and go surprise them to go to lunch or, you know, go, uh, you know, pick them up from school and go, you know, go to one of their games and things like that is a lot, is a lot, is really important. And being able to have them see me around more as well. And I also think what else is extremely important, no matter what you do, whether you're in a W-2 job or you have your own business or whatever you do, you, you, one, of the, one of the greatest outcomes of having your children become successful when they get older is to see you enjoying the work that you do. So I have never gone home and told my kids, I hate what I do. I wish I never, you know, had to step another foot in the office. I, I don't. Like, I, I really, truly enjoy what I do. And they hear me on phone calls like this one. And they'll, and because they, they know if I'm driving down the road and I get a phone call from an investor, I'm like, I got an investor call. And they're in the back, in the back, quiet as a mouse, you know, and I'm having this, this conversation with them and they're listening to that. And they'll ask me questions afterwards as well, after the call about, you know, what is this and what is that? And, but that having that attitude of really loving what you do and enjoying what you do really will transform and change the impact of your children as they get older to not always resent work and not like being able to do going to going to work and they'll actually actually enjoy doing it but it all has to do as well with trying to find and do something that you really do, really do truly love and enjoy to do, and enjoy doing if you don't enjoy working then you probably need to find a different job 
That's tremendous advice. I mean, especially from, you know, from, from your kid's perspective. I mean, cause how many times does somebody come home and say, Oh, you know, man, really should just quit this or, you know, I'm really not enjoying this type of work. And then, you know, to be able to share that passion with them and, and show them, Hey, this is something that you can enjoy and also, you know, find fulfillment in, and also be successful at, you know, financially. So I, I think that, I think that's great. And another thing that you talk about is, also the financial literacy is so important too, right? So it's not, Hey, mommy and daddy are doing pretty well, you know, here, let's go buy this, buy that. I mean, you guys, I mean, you do a really good job. So if you wouldn't mind just delving in a little bit, how you communicate what you're doing financially and how that's impacting your guys' lives and, you know, kind of making them more literate about their financial well being as well. Well, I try to be as open with them as possible with our finances. And sometimes it's to our detriment because, you know, the other day I told my, my, my son said, Hey, can I have that? And I was like, no, daddy can't afford that. And he looked at me like, daddy, <laughs> I know you can afford it. <laughs> Don't you, I can't use that excuse. Like my dad used to say all the time was, you know, we, I can't afford it. Or we can't afford it. It's not usually that at all. So it is a, a hard balance, especially when you get to the point where you have a little, have some excess and you could pretty much, you know, buy, you know, some of the small things or whatever that the kids want. And, uh, and even some of the large things depending on what it is. But to me, what we, we've been trying to instill in our kids is how to actually properly manage their finances. Because when, I, when my wife and I pass away, we've already told them that we're not going to leave them a huge, big nest egg. So, and I'm sure we'll probably get into this a little bit later in the podcast today about some of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm working on from a passion standpoint. And we'll talk about that. But I already told them that they're not going to get a big nest egg because I'm planning on giving it all away, right? And, but I want them to learn how to manage their finances properly, whether they want to be a, a school teacher, a police officer, or in their own business, or even a missionary. I, it doesn't really matter. They need to know these, these fundamental concepts. And you know, even just this past weekend, my daughter was asking me about the investments that we have. And she said, well, how can I invest with you, daddy? You know? And, uh, and I said, well, I said, the minimum investment, <laughs> you know, is 50,000. And, uh, and you so don't even she, cut it. You don't even cut a, a lower buy-in for your daughter. <laughs> No, so I, what I told her was, I said, and she's getting smart because I told her, I said, well, because right now, just complete transparency, she has a little over $1,000 in her savings account. It's like nice. $1,021. Good place to start. Yep. And so she's been saving up her, you know, her money as like from allowances and you know, doing different odds and ends and things like this around the house. And so she's got a little over $1,000 saved up and she said, well, can I invest, you know, with you? And I said, well, I said, I tell you what, the minimum investment is usually 50000 but Daddy's going to be putting in a lot more than that into this investment. So if you want to give me your $1,000, then I'll invest it alongside me and I'll just give you that interest every single month until we actually sell the property. Then I'll give it to you at the end. And she goes, uh, and she said, well, what happens if I, when do I get my money back? And I said, well, it's possible you won't get it back at all. I said, cause it's an investment. Right. And I said, so it's possible you might lose it all. She's like, she, she sat back and she's like, well, I don't know if I want to put all of it in that one deal. <laughs> and I was like, that's the exact thought process you need to have. And so we, at the end of the day, we decided that she's going to put in $250 in this one over here and $250 in this one over here and save the rest for like a rainy day fund until she got more money and then kind of build it up kind of talking her through those different steps. But it's great to kind of see their minds working as you're talking through these different investment principles so that they can fully understand the, the impact that they can have because they like the, the idea of being able to, you know, uh, earn money without actually, you know, doing anything, that, that passive investment. But there's also the risk that's over here. It's kind of balancing out that, that, that mindset of investing versus that risk reward ratio. I was going to say, she's, she's already educated more than uh, most of the investors that I, that I know, you know. <laughs> 
I, I just, I didn't know. Is she, is she on the GP line on that one too then? Or is <laughs> no, no, she's not on the GP line on that one. <laughs> Man, those are some great stories. I really appreciate that. So I know we we didn't talk about it a ton, but so so you got into the real estate, and I mean your the growth from there has just been astronomical as well. So just you know, I guess maybe a Cliff Notes version. So you got into the real estate, and then just like everything else, you just jumped in headfirst, right? And it's just been like a rocket ship since then. So what's that journey been like, and how were you able to get so far so quickly? When I first got into the multifamily space, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to hire a mentor to be able to help reduce the learning curve and allow me to be able to scale faster. And so I went on a mission to find a mentor that would work really well with me because I've had mentors in the past in my other businesses that, you know, the personalities just didn't jive, right? And so you have to find a mentor that works with you from a personality standpoint. But I wanted somebody that I had direct one-on-one access to and somebody that I knew was still doing what I wanted to do. I didn't want to hire a mentor that used to do what I'm doing because there's there's things that are different that are happening, but being able to find somebody that's actively doing what I'm doing or what I wanted to do at the time at that moment. And so I found that mentor, hired him, and it's also where I found my other managing partner in our group, PassiveInvesting.com, which is Danny Randazzo. He actually was, we were were kind of, you know, had mutual mentees, if you will, or mentors, if you will, we were the mentees that were mutual mentees of the mentor. And so that's how we got connected. But first was hiring that mentor and reducing that learning curve. First started off by passively investing in a few projects and then started to put it together. Then I started to co-GP and become do joint venture partnerships with two other groups to be able to help build my track record and build my credibility. And then started to acquire our very first property on our own. Our very first property was an $8.9 million property, 130 units out of Greenville, South Carolina. And then fast forward to today, where we're acquiring usually anywhere anywhere between about 20 to 50 to $60 million properties. So we have a property right now that's 57.6 million that'll be closing in the beginning of November. And we have two deals on either side of that deal. One's a $27 million deal. Another one's like a $21.5 million deal. And we are raising some pretty significant capital right now. And it's because of the track record that we built. And also, I guess you could say the the marketing machine of being able to attract new investors into our, into our, um, our, our, our lead generation funnel, if you will, to be able to uh, be able to present deals to these investors because there's a lot of uh, deals that are out there that die because there's not a lot of investors, but it's because they're not, they're, it, it, that's the hard, most challenging thing with multifamily business is that you have to always be finding deals. And at the same time, you have to always be finding investors and you have to have both in order for the business to work. And so the moment you start to run out of investors or run out of deals, that's when you can start to go under. So it's a constant kind of battle back and forth to learn to make able to make sure that you're kind of marketing for both of those things so that the business can continue to go forward. And so that's kind of where we are today. And you know, we're we're at by the end of this year, we'll be just just over 400 million in acquisitions. And hopefully in 2021, be able to add another two or three hundred million to that to that number. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, that, that quickly to get to, to aspire that high and, and to continue on. And like you said, I mean, it is a constant struggle, both right deal flow and investor flow. And especially now, I mean, just, it's tremendous how you guys have been able to succeed even in, you know, a time when, when a lot of folks are, are sitting on the sidelines. So, I mean, well, even look back, right. I mean, I, I listened to some podcasts from the 2017, 2018, right. And you hear guys talking about, well, we're going to wait till the next recession comes. And it's like, you know, guys that are really strong and in groups that have had really strong track records and they've been sitting on the sidelines for three or four years. So, I mean, you know, I'm always of the mind that you just, you buy right, 
and you finance it right, you'll always win. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can, you can try to play the market and obviously that's a part of it, but as long as there's not a gun to your head telling you you need to sell during a very specific time, then you're usually good. And I think that's, you know, the challenge with, with sitting and waiting, right? It always seems like, oh, when's COVID going to end or when's, you know, the, the stock market going to tank or what's the election going to do? Or, you know, none of us have a crystal ball. So as long as you're, you know, buying at a, at a good basis and, you know, putting conservative debt on it in conservative times, then, you and know, have think, plenty of operating reserves. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You've got to have plenty of cash to, to be able to, to weather any storm. So, well, you, you alluded to it, uh, you know, as far as hiring the mentor for the real estate side, but I'm kind of curious, you know, even from the beginning back in college or growing up, who did you, who really helped you along the way? Who really got you and helped mold you to this, you know, you know, entrepreneur and, and seasoned investor that you are today? I would say the number one person that I followed out over the last probably 10 or 15 years has been Dan Kennedy. So I'm not sure if you've, you've heard of him or you're familiar with him. Not familiar. But he is a, a, he's kind of a different, you know, animal because he is primarily, he, he is a marketer. That's all he really is. But he is a grassroots marketer. And he teaches a lot of strategy about, you know, newspaper, TV, radio, a lot of print stuff. And it's, it's some of the things that we do, like even right now, we have a, a printed investor newsletter we send out to our investors every month. That's an idea that we got from uh, Dan Kennedy. And, uh, and so it's, it's one of those things that uh, he's, he's been some of that, he's written a ton of books around marketing. And, and so I've been following him for many years. I've used his, his material inside of each one of my businesses up until this point. And obviously it has served, it has served me, you know, quite well to be able to not, not just him, but he is probably the number one person that has made a major impact on uh, the bottom line from the marketing perspective. All right. Well, now I've got some homework to go out and, uh, and read some, some compelling content. So I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, the last thing before we wrap up here, I want to, I want to understand. So you've got all these high dollar tasks, right? I mean, you've got deal flow, you've got investor relations, you've got your other business, you've got your family. How do you go about delegating these responsibilities and roles between, I mean, between all the businesses you have and then also within your, your syndication business as well? What do you choose to delegate and, and how do you define which tasks are worthy of your time? I try to delegate as many of them as I can. So <laughs> if it's something I'm doing every day, I need to delegate it to get off my plate, right? Well, I will tell you that earlier on in, in my career, my business career, that was one of the biggest bottlenecks for me because I really was not delegating. And I'm, I'm, the, I'm a classic entrepreneur in the fact that I feel like I can do everything better than everybody else. And I still feel that way today. And it's a constant battle that I have in my head all the time about delegation is the fact that I feel like I can do everything better. And so I also, so back when I first got you know, into business, I found that out about myself and I had to really kind of play mind tricks with myself and say, okay, yes, you can do things better than everybody else. Pat myself on the back, right? And, but what if you could hire somebody that could do it 80 to 85% as well as you can? And then you could go and focus on something else. And so I play those mind tricks with myself to be able to hire people. And I, I literally still struggle with this today because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to build out a, a video recording studio for some of the things that we're doing and just bought a 3,000 square foot flex building and things like that to be able to build this stuff out. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out how I could do the video shooting at the same time as speaking. I'm like, <laughs> no, you got to hire a video producer. You know, you're, you're going to probably spend, you know, 60 to 80,000 a year on that person, but it's going to be worth it. They'll do a lot better than you and, or at least 80 to 80. 
85% of all as I could. But really earlier on, being able to you know, play that mind trick, my, mind trick with myself and being able to delegate some of the tasks and hire people. And what I found out is that I actually can hire people and pay them well enough that they actually do it better than I could have done it because that's what their, co- that's what their core competency is, is in that particular thing. And that is really truly what has allowed me to be able to scale and where I've seen that hockey stick growth, that hockey stick moment is the moment that I actually started to learn to delegate certain tasks. And so, you know, even, even right now, I'm in the process of, you know, uh, trying to find somebody to help replace, not re, not really, I guess, replace me on the investor relations side of things where instead of me having to have a you know, bunch of phone calls scheduled to speak with investors, I can hire an investor relations consultant to do that. Even though I have, I already have an assistant that helps me with investor relations, but she's so busy, she doesn't have time to get on phone calls. And, uh, and so I need to hire that next person to be able to help me, be able to take that off my plate as well. And it's, it's a constant battle of, you know, okay, if I can hire that person, it's going to cost me X. Is that X amount worth it for me not to have to do that? Where I could fix, focus more time on my, on my family or some of the other, the foundation that I've started and things like that, that we can talk about a little bit later too. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate you being willing to share that. And so you talked about that 80, 85%, but then, but then you actually realize that these people are, like you said, they're, they're an expert in, in that particular task. So yes, you know, maybe if you looked at holistically, you know, yeah, you're better jack of all trades than they are, but when you go head to head, they're actually better in that particular facet. And I think that's just, just a struggle for so many people in just so many areas, right? You know, either investing professionally, whatever the case is, it can be a challenge because you got, you got to have that trust, right? And there, there are going to be things that go wrong and you're going to have to be at peace with that and say, oh, geez, like I wouldn't have let that happen. Well, but you know, what wouldn't you have accomplished? And what did you, what were you able to say yes to that you wouldn't have if you wouldn't have been able to delegate that role and responsibility? So that's huge. I really appreciate you sharing that. So we'll wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So I'm definitely super intrigued about uh, some of your responses to these. So, so number one is what would you say is the most contrarian investment that you've made? My most contrarian investment. Well, <laughs> I want to say five or six years ago now, maybe six or seven years ago now there, I actually, when I, when I was working full time as a chiropractor, I had, I guess it was longer than that. It was probably seven or eight years ago. But when I was Working full time as a chiropractor, I had I had a I had a specialty that I did in my clinic called non-surgical spinal decompression, and we were uh, seeing a lot of people that had really serious disc problems, so spinal disc problems, you know, bulging, herniated degenerative discs, and I was looking for a supplement to be able to sell to our patients that would help them get those discs to be able to regenerate themselves while we were doing some of the treatment in the office and came across a product that was basically like all 12 of the supplements that you would need all in one product, right? So instead of having to go still have the patient go buy 12 different bottles, they could just buy this one thing and they could have all the supplements that they needed to be able to help, you know, kind of heal or you know, uh, support the, the nutrients in those spinal discs. And so I reached out to the guy who developed it and actually I drove like three and a half hours to go meet him because he was at the time, he's a, he's actually a, an attorney out of like Kentucky, but he was visiting North Carolina. So I drove up to North Carolina to meet with him. And he's like, he told me we were sitting down. He's like, honestly, he goes, if you want to buy it, I'll just sell it to you. You know, 
<laughs> and I, not, not just the bottle, but like the whole company, you know, because it was a fairly small company. It was just one product and he was an attorney. He developed it with a bunch of scientists because he had a disc problem and wanted to create just one product for himself. And so that's kind of how the product got started and started to negotiate back and forth with him. Ended up uh, buying it for pretty much nothing because I basically built out a uh, kind of a buyout, if you will, where it was a royalty. So he got a royalty up to a certain dollar amount. And once he got that royalty, then it was mine free and clear. And it was based on my performance on how much I could sell the bottles on uh, uh, of the bottles of the, of the product. And so at that time, I had a, a coaching program where I was teaching other chiropractors how to do what I was doing in the clinics. And so I bought the product like that in the company and then started to promote it to them. And then they started using it with their patients, started to get really great results. And then we even today still sell it on Amazon. It's called Spine Revitalizer. And got the trademark on it and everything. And, you know, it's uh, it sells on eBay, on, not on eBay, but on, on, on Amazon very well. And uh, we still, like today, we're selling like 100 bottles a month or something like that. So it's not a, not a crazy amount, but it, like it was one of those crazy contrarian investments that it was pitched to me. And I was like, I wonder if I could buy this and ended up buying it. Well, there's additional cash flow coming in every month, right? You're not going to complain about selling a couple bottles a month, a couple hundred yeah. bottles and, and moving on. So no, I love that. So I know you alluded to some of this earlier too, but so what, what's your favorite activity? You talked about you, you and your wife going out, uh, you know, having the coffee meetings in the morning, but what's your favorite activity to do with friends and family? Well, I really enjoy uh, racquetball. So I'm a, I'm a, I, I haven't been able to play for the last year because I damaged my hip last year. I'm not really sure how I damaged it, but I was actually in London walking the streets with my wife and our two older children, and somehow I threw it out somehow. But um, it's been about a year, and I just started back last week. And so I really like, really enjoy playing racquetball. But one of the things I also like to do is even just yesterday, I was out in our front yard, you know, throwing the baseball back and forth with our two older kids. And even the two younger kids are out there with their little gloves and kind of rolling it to them and having them throw it to me. So, but they're, they're into a lot of different sports. They're into, you know, basketball and soccer and tennis. And, you know, I'm, I got my son into racquetball and, you know, baseball and things like that. So we, we try to be as active as we can. That's usually what I try to do for exercise in the afternoons or in the evenings is once I get home, you know, be able to go out there with them and, and play for, you know, an hour, hour and a half with, and getting them, of course, get their energy out, but also give myself some exercise too. That's super fun. I know some of my fondest memories playing sports. I, I love playing racquetball with my dad growing up. You know, I kept accidentally hitting him in the back of the head and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Payback, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, racquetball. I, I love racquetball. It's super fun. So, all right. Well, we, we touched on this one a little bit earlier, but uh, I'm super excited to hear what your response is. So, so what does offer you the most fulfillment in life and, and kind of giving back to others? Well, you know, this is, this is something that I've been searching for for a very long time because I really didn't know what, the, what, what that was, right? Um, and so I was actually last year, around this very same time, it was actually in September of last year, I was sitting in, our, in, a, in a Sunday morning church service and our pastor had gotten onto some rabbit trail that he was talking on. And so I kind of, in my mind, went on another rabbit trail in my head and it, the Lord really laid onto my heart to be able to start a foundation called Fortify Foundation. And it is a Christian nonprofit foundation that helps support local private schools, small to mid-sized schools. And what it does is it helps to come alongside those schools to create a 
a, a long-term endowment fund for that, for that organization, as well as some short-term um, giving options as well, and helps them because they don't know, some of those small to mid-sized schools don't normally have a planned giving person that's full-time that works for them. They just aren't big enough to really have that, have to be able to support somebody like that. And so we come alongside them and provide them with a planned giving person that's, you know, part-time that might manage, you know, five to 10 different schools. But then we provide them with the investment options and alternatives for them to be able to grow their endowment as well as some of their short-term funds to be able to support the teachers, the school, the school, like the campus itself, as well as even the students with scholarship um, funds as well. And so it's really one of those things that has really helped to allow us to be able to come alongside Christian schools to be able to help them thrive instead of just kind of, you know, maintaining or surviving, if you will, to be able to um, sustain them um, really in, 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 in perpetuity. Because if it's a true endowment, that principle is never spent. You only, you only, you know, spend off of that interest that it's actually made off of the, or the, the, the interest or the return that is made off that investment. And it also allows us to be able to have a vehicle for us to be able to have a nonprofit that can invest inside of multifamily to even grow that portfolio even further, where normally these types of, in, of endowments would only invest in the stock market where they're going to get four, five, 6% return somewhere around in there, or now they're able to go into these larger assets and, and multifamily and get, you know, 15% plus on some of these uh, returns. So that's, that's what I've, I was told my kids and when Whenever I die, my wife and I die, most of our money is going to go into there. So we'll leave you a little bit, but most of it's going to go into that uh, that foundation to continue to uh, sustain and fortify Christian education into the, into, the, into the future, even after we're gone. Yeah, well, that, that's outstanding. And, and I'd love for you to share the link and any information that you can, we'll drop in the show notes for, for anybody that wants to check that out moving forward. I think just a point around that that is tough right now is endowments and funds of that sort are having real struggles right now, trying to chase yield. And I think that's why it's so important to look at alternatives as an option for those type of funds because, you know, bonds are down. I mean, there's not really a lot of safe options out there outside of real estate. And so I think that's just such a tremendous opportunity that, you know, you can get them so then they can have more money and funds to invest in the schools and in the children and everything moving forward. So, well, Dan, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, man. You've, you've taught me a lot and uh, I learned a lot of things that I wasn't quite as competent on about you before this, but what's the best way that the listeners can get in touch with you out there? Sure. I would give you uh, three different ways. So if you want to join us on one of our future opportunities as a passive investor, we are only, we are only accept accredited investors, but you can go to passiveinvesting.com and find out what it means to be an accredited investor if you don't know what that is. But also on that website, on the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says, join the Passive Investor Club. You can click on that button and join our club. I'll jump on a phone call with you, uh, do a one-on-one to discuss your investment goals and make sure we're a good fit for each other. And also on that website. There's also usually our, our current offerings that were, were, were that are listed there. And then the second way to get a hold of us is if you're interested in some multifamily education, we do a free weekly webinar every single week. You can go to multifamilyinvestornation.com and put your email address in there to be uh, notified of some of our of our topics that we're going to be talking on over the next uh, several weeks and months. And then the third way is the link to the Fortify Foundation. Right now we're in the process of finalizing the website. So hopefully it'll be up in the next probably probably three to four weeks, but you can go to fortifyfoundation.org to find more information about the, uh, the foundation that I've started as well. And I would recommend anybody to go back and definitely check out the podcast. 
MFIN multifamily investor nation podcast, but then also the tough decisions podcast. You know, that's one that I've really gotten a lot of nuggets from with Dan, where he interviews other entrepreneurs and kind of dives into mindset and some successes and some struggles, man, this has been a great conversation. Thank you. And uh, really looking forward to sharing this with the listeners. So everybody have a great day out there. Live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.